Welcome to Seed Time Living. This is where we help you transform your financial life using timeless biblical principles. I'm your host, Bob Loddick, and I'm so glad to have you here today. What we're going to be talking about is the second wealth secret from this book. And so I I mentioned this the other day. It's called Five Wealth Secrets that 96% of us don't know. And it's by this guy named... Craig Hill. Craig Hill. We talked about this last week when we talked about Sabbath. Well, yeah, we talked about the whole idea of whether Jews are wealthier than Christians. Right. And we kind of talked about Sabbath, but it was based off of a quote from this book. So I just want to dive in a little bit deeper and go over the second wealth secret in this book, which I think is really powerful. It's been helping Mm -hmm. me. I've been thinking about this a lot the last couple of weeks. And so hoping, praying that it's going to be helpful for you as well. Mm Mm-hmm. So let me start kind of giving you the premise of this book, this whole 96% thing. I'm going to be reading a decent amount here because we kind of brought you in on this book study that you didn't know you were in. <laughs> we didn't know. So you know. probably haven't like yeah. been able to do this. But if you want to grab this, like I think we're going to do a couple more lives on this. So it's not a super formal book study. And maybe we'll start doing some more. Maybe we'll formalize this and do some. That's kind of a fun idea. Book studies. Yeah. I don't know. It just might be a better way to approach it. But anyway. So I'm going to be reading a little bit more to you to kind of help you through this. But here's where this whole the whole idea from this book came. He said, many years ago, I was impressed when I heard Robert Kiyosaki, this is author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which I've talked about in the past, cited a very interesting statistic. Kiyosaki stated that people tend to use money very differently depending on their upbringing and financial intelligence. He said, what would be the result a year from now if we were to give 100 people $10,000 today? and then told them to use the money as they wished. He said, according to Robert Kiyosaki, 80 people out of the 100 would have $0 left. 16 would have about $10,300, essentially the amount of interest you would get from just leaving it in a bank. And then he said 4% would have between $20,000 and $1 million, two to 100 times more. So the obvious question is, what do the 4% know in practice that the 96% do not? And that's kind of the premise of this book. Gambling, right? <laughs> Slot machines? Slot machines, yeah, there you go. <laughs> and so Kiyosaki goes on to state that the answer has to do with arithmetic functions ingrained in the financial intelligence of each person. So apparently 80% of the people are very good at subtraction, spending. 16% understand something about addition and only 4% have learned about multiplication. Interesting. Anyway, that's kind of the premise of this book as a whole. And what are these five secrets that the 96% of people don't know or don't practice and that 4% of people do? So which do you feel like you naturally fall into? Because I feel like I naturally fall into the subtraction. I think most people by default fall into that category. Well, yeah, that's kind of what it says. So that's why I'm asking you personally. I think what I've learned over the years hopefully gets me closer to that 4%. I feel like we've had aspects of our life where we're multiplying it, but I'm definitely being humbled by some of the things I'm reading in here where it's like, oh man, I could be doing that better. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight, what I'm not doing real great and what I think I can be doing better. With that, let's dive into this second wealth secret. And the title of the second wealth secret is to focus on vision. So he goes on to say, When you ask most people why they cannot accomplish a goal, they will tell you that the prevailing reason is they don't have the money to do so. The focus of these people is on provision rather than on the vision. Vision. So the 4% believe that provision naturally follows the vision. They choose to focus on establishing clear vision with an expectation that provision will naturally follow. That really got me, just that statement right there of the provision follows the vision. What is that saying? That where there's a will, there's a way. 
Yeah. And what that means and I mean, I've I've heard it, I'm sure there's lots of different ways to use that, but I've heard it in more of a, just, I really want that, so I'm going to make it happen. Mm-hmm. Like, I really want new bedding for my, <laughs> for my bed. And where there's a will, there's a way. I'm going to find a way to find this money. I'm going to find a way to make it happen. Yeah. And won't you know, it happens because where there's a will, there's a way. And I feel like this is saying that, but it's so much bigger than this. Well, it's deeper. In this book, for any reason not curious it's like this is a biblical approach to all this this is not a new agey kind of like thing by any means we'll explain some more as we kind of dive through this chapter but one of the things he's talking about here is we're going through this chapter is calling Mm -hmm. and what this means for our calling and how many people's lives have been held up where they feel like they've had this thing in their heart that god has put in their heart to do and yet they let the lack of provision stop them Like, this is a tough thing to talk about because I feel like a lot of people get really angry and upset about this when they're in a situation where it feels like there's no provision and it feels like there's no way to do this. Mm -hmm. How can you tell me that I should be moving forward in this? The thing that I'm challenged by with this, because I, man, I've been so guilty of this in so many ways. And and even lately, I feel like there's a lot of areas where I have made excuses because it seems like there's not provision (laughs) there to do X, Y, or Z. Right. And if you look at the Bible, you, you're filled with stories of people who didn't have provision, but had the vision that God was calling them to do, and then God came through in a miraculous way to provide that. Right. And we'll get to some of those in a minute. But mm-hmm. Just a ahead. quick recap. This book is... Five Wealth Secrets, 96% of Us Don't Know by Craig Hill. Mm-hmm. We have a link in the description if you want to pull it up on Amazon. He goes on to talk a little bit about calling, and this is a little bit of a tangent to kind of the main point of this chapter, but he says, my experience has been that God usually places within a person desires and abilities to facilitate the purpose and calling from God for that person's life. So the question to you would be the following. This is if you're struggling with figuring out, well, what is that thing? What do you lie awake at night thinking and dreaming about? Mm -hmm. What do you love to do? What are you really good at? And if you could do anything you like, what would it be? A question I would add to this, because I'm often talking to people about calling a lot. It seems like it comes up a whole lot. The question I often ask is like, if you can't answer any of those and you don't know what that answer is, like ask your spouse or ask a really close friend Mm -hmm. what they think you're really interested in, what they think you're passionate about, because that often will shine a light on things that you might not be able to see yourself. Right. And ask a good friend. Don't ask someone who is going to be superficial and tell you, you know, not a great answer. <laughs> really? Really? Yeah. I mean, the people well, that you are talking to about this is it's really important. Yeah, it, it absolutely is. So he goes on to say that the 96% thinkers will always pursue money instead of pursuing vision. I have found that just the opposite <laughs> is true. If you pursue your God-given vision, money will naturally follow. Man, and how many people spend their days, it's like, I just got to make money, just got to make money, just pay the bills. Just to feed my family. And it's mm-hmm. true. I think it's just really challenging. Well, so he goes through this this conversation, series of conversations with um, whatever random people he meets just to kind of illustrate this point and to determine whether or not somebody knows kind of why they're doing what they're doing. He says, what do you do for a living? I work for such and such company or I sell a product or work at the factory. And then he says, well, do you like that kind of work? Some Most people say, well, no, not, not really. really. Um, he said, how many hours a week do you work and for how many years have you been doing this? Oh, about 40, 50 hours a week. And I've been doing it for 20 years. 
So you've been doing something you really don't like for 50 hours a week for 20 years. Why are you continuing to do the work? Well, for the money. I have to work. Well, why do you need the money? <laughs> you, this is probably a very frustrating conversation. Can you imagine sitting next to this guy on an airplane yeah. and you're like, I just want to listen to my music. Yeah, dude. Heck <laughs> up. Um, so at this point, seedmates usually look a little puzzled by the question as if to say, well, duh, what a stupid question. Why would I need the money? But they politely say, I need money to pay my bills, you know, for my house, my car, my food, my clothes. So why do you need a house, food, car, or clothes? By now, they normally look a little miffed and say, obviously, without a house, food, clothes, I will die. And then sometimes I ask one final question to get to the bottom and find the vision. So why do you need to live? Boom, mic drop. <laughs> and he said, at this question, most people just look at me with a blank stare. This question is requesting an articulation of the purpose for which God has placed that person on the planet. At least mm-hmm. 96% of the people have never thought that through and cannot give me a clear, articulate purpose for their existence and vision for their life. So I just read this today. And I was kind of like, why am I alive? Why do I need to <laughs> I mean, that's a really deep question. And I feel like I have a pretty good sense of purpose already. I mean, I have three children. I have a husband who I love. Obviously, we run seed time and this is a beautiful business. But I was like, let's get deeper. Like, what can I go that's even deeper than that? Yeah. And I mean, this is a really deep and intimate question Yeah. that I feel like I'm still searching for what's deeper. Somebody was asking if it's a biblically-based book. It absolutely is. Mm-hmm. All right. So let me read this other thing to you. I'm just going to keep, like, asking these, <laughs> dropping these really challenging things. Because there's a lot of them in the book that just really made me, oh, guilty of that or whatever. He says, for the 96%, money is their master, and they do what they do for money. Since money is their master, God becomes a servant to get the 96% more money. That right there is like, let's just stop on that. Yeah. Since money is their master, God becomes the servant to this majority so that they can have more money. For the 4%, money (laughs) is their servant and they do what they do to fulfill a calling that God has given them. Since God is the master, money becomes their servant to fulfill God's purpose and calling on their lives. That is so good. I feel like we've touched on this, but I like the way he's saying it, where money becomes your servant so that God can become your master. Whereas when you're letting money rule rule your decisions, then God becomes your servant. Yeah. That is really challenging. Mm Mm-hmm. Do you feel yeah, like that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, that's <laughs> I mean, why I was saying that. That's and why I, was I wanted like, to talk I'm about so this. I'm so sorry, God. I'm so sorry for every time I've made you my servant. The mission behind our site and everything we do and all of this mm-hmm. has been to help you, I mean, and us, like on this journey together, right. be solid with our finances so that we can fulfill God's call in our yeah. life and whatever that is. But even still, like even having that in the mission of what we're doing. Like, I'm still just getting really just convicted, convicted and just God's just showing me deeper levels through this book. So I'm really excited. And that's why I want to go over all this with you guys mm-hmm. tonight. All right. I'm going to keep them coming. There's a couple more <laughs> things I want to talk about. Just bought the book. Thanks, guys. Yeah. You're welcome, Richard. Um, Somebody's well. asking, does the book help you answer why are you alive question? I think a little bit we were talking about that. I mean, and you know, we've actually done a few videos about um, calling, which, you know, I think ties right up into that. But mm-hmm. This chapter, well, really most of the books I've read so far is done in like a story format. And so I'm going to read this and it might not make sense, but he kind of does a story of 
I don't even know. It's like a father and a son kind of teaching. And that's how all these principles are kind of tied up in here. Anyway, so it says, Papa turned to Isaac and Rachel and said, you know, Isaac, lack of money is never the hindrance to accomplishment. It is either lack of vision or lack of knowledge. But it seems that most people believe that lack of money is their primary obstacle. Hmm. I think that's really true. So I got a couple of questions I want to ask you that after all this, but most of the 90%, 96% thinkers lack wisdom and vision to administrate larger sums of money. On the other hand, we've heard stories of, so this is referring to, let me come back real quick. We've heard many stories of those who have won multi-million dollar lottery jackpots only to find themselves destitute and without financial resource in just a few short years. I read a statistic that said that um, it's like something like 30% of big lottery winners end up bankrupt, which is insane. Absolutely insane. Shouldn't be. So why is this so? I believe it's because most of the 96% uh, thinkers lack the wisdom and vision to administrate larger sums of money. On the other hand, we've heard stories of wealthy 4% thinkers who have been stripped of large fortunes only to regain their wealth again in a few short years. Why? I believe this is probably because of the vision within the 4% thinker that generates wealth again in a very short period of time. So in the long term, a person with a strong, clear vision, a 4% thinker, and no money will be much better off financially than a person with lots of money and no clear vision, a 96% thinker. Do you remember that book, The Miracle Morning? Yeah. Didn't he do that? Where it was like he rose to the top and then he fell really, you know, he got in a car crash. And he did. He got, he almost died. He almost died. Like they thought he was going to be paralyzed and he's not paralyzed. And it was like, he talked about that. He was like his vision. Like yep. he, he kept this picture in his mind of what his life would be like and just kept rising to the top over and over and yeah. over again, despite like huge obstacles. Yeah. That's a, another great book. Uh, the Miracle Morning by Hal Elrod. Not a Christian book, not but Christian. Um, really enjoyed yeah. it. It helped me a lot. All right. So this is another weighty thing that I want to read because I think this is really powerful. Why do you think it is that in our day, so many people focus on money or provision? Has it always been that way? Yeah, this one hit me too. No, son. In past times, even the general population focused more on vision than on money or provision. However, over the past 50 or 60 years, values here in our modern society have really changed. In past times here in the United States, even the vast majority of the 96% valued purpose, destiny, and calling above money. At that time, the concept that I have been placed here by God to fulfill a destiny or purpose greater than myself, and that this purpose will require self-sacrifice for the benefit of others, was commonly embraced. While today, this type of lifestyle is reserved for those very few special people like Mother Teresa, in past times, this lifestyle of individual sacrifice and living for a purpose much greater than self was common to many people in society. Right. And I mean, you think about the people who basically came to America, <laughs> the, like the settlers. Yeah. yeah or, okay. No, I'm talking about like the settlers and the okay. people who established the country. Oh, yeah. yeah. That was not easy. That was not fun. It yeah. was like We watched hardship. a couple of those documentaries. Hardship like, oh, the wow. entire time. <laughs> That was a challenge. Right. Hardship the entire time. Mm -hmm. And it was all, I want to set my kids up for better. I want to set my kids up for better. And I yeah. feel like there's some of that now, but I see less of us saying, well, I want to leave a huge inheritance for my kids and more of, why would I leave them inheritance? I'll just give them a good life now Yeah, and let them yeah. figure I mean, it out later, right? Yeah, probably what's the greatest generation? Somebody can, in the comments, throw the, the years. But that was during the uh, World War II era, right? But that is, 
the last generation of Americans, at least, that from my vantage point, limited vantage point, but from what I can tell, like really embraced this and did that and laid down their lives for things bigger than themselves. Mm -hmm. There you go. War. Yeah. I mean, that's a huge one right there. Yeah. Which, I mean, obviously, yeah. Just to clarify, like there's definitely people still living like this, right? Yeah, but not (laughs) as many as we need. Not as many as we need, right. And especially believers. Like we need believers fulfilling and chasing God's vision for their life rather than trying to make a name for themselves, trying to get a million followers or make themselves rich or whatever. Like there needs to be a purpose behind it. Let that other stuff follow it if that's going to, and God wants to do that, great. But Matthew 6, 33, seeks first the kingdom and his righteousness and, all and these then things these things will be added unto you. And that is the proper kind of sequence of things, you know? People are still asking about the book. There's a link in the description on, should be on YouTube and Facebook. And the Kindle version is cheaper. It was in the curious. email today, too. It's in the email. You... Paperback's kind of pricey. You might be able to find it used. But the Kindle book's like 10 bucks, I think. For many today, character has been replaced by convenience. The former value of self-sacrifice has largely been exchanged for the value of self-gratification. Lack of a strong sense of purpose and destiny produces a self-focus and a certain feeling of emptiness and lack of fulfillment in life. Many people today live for diversion and entertainment to fill up an empty, meaningless life. All right, here's the positive side of that. Let's let's, let's try to line up the positivity here. People living for a purpose beyond self see money simply as a tool to accomplish a vision in fulfillment of a divine destiny or calling. People living for a purpose beyond self see money simply as a tool to accomplish a vision in fulfillment of a divine destiny or calling. Mm -hmm. People are loving this book, and I'm really glad. This is only the second chapter, and we haven't even read the whole thing. (laughs) But this is a lot of really good stuff. Do you want to read that? This is just like kind of the summary summary. of this Okay, let's do the summary for anybody who's just joining us. There's a couple questions I want to ask. Yeah. Yeah. So the two-sentence summary here is to focus on vision and not provision. What has God dropped into your heart? What is the thing he's been calling you to do? And focus on that. I've had years, years where I've been paralyzed by this, Mm -hmm. where I've known that God was calling me to do something and I've made excuses because it seemed like there wasn't enough provision there. On the other hand, we've had moments where we've succeeded in this area a little bit, where we have stepped out in bold, scary faith to Mm -hmm. do things that didn't make sense in the natural And the provision did not seem like it was there. But as we stepped out, we saw God come through. We've had that happen enough that I can confidently say, he's going to do it. Mm -hmm. He's going to do it. He's done it in our lives so many times. Like, And I don't know if he talks about this in this chapter or maybe somewhere else. He was talking about the loaves and fishes miracle. Disciples come to Jesus and say, we got to feed all these people. There's not a market anywhere near. We don't have enough money. And they're focused on their lack of provision. And they don't know what to do. And then Andrew comes up and says, well, we got this little boy who's got a few loaves and a few fishes. He's not focused on what's not there. He's looking at what is there. Mm -hmm. It's not much. In the natural, it's not something that's going to make it work. But God is taking, or in this situation, takes the little bit that's there, multiplies it, and makes it everything that it needs to be. Mm -hmm. And that is a principle that I feel like we've seen multiple times in our life Mm -hmm. happen. Yeah. Absolutely. Where I have this meager little thing and I'm like, God, there is no way. There is no way this meager little thing is ever going to be the thing that it needs to be right now. Mm-hmm. And God says, yes, in your own strength, it's not going to be. And if you're focusing on everything that's not there, it's not going to happen. But if you focus 
on what is there and you focus on me and my ability to multiply it, that's where the power is. Yeah. And I saw somebody made a comment earlier. I said, if you are broke, then lack of finances is a really big deal, which I hear you. I understand what you're saying. I think that is true sometimes, but we're we're not talking about just like stuff you want to do. Like, I just want to do this type of thing. We're talking about what you feel like the Lord is calling you to and having like a very clear vision for what God has for your life, right? Yeah, but this goes beyond that. Our church, we've been doing online church like all of you guys have, and we've been every week, they've been sharing testimonies of giving and generosity, which a lot of them have been mind-blowing. People everybody everywhere, I think it's like 25% of people have lost their jobs. But our church has a really high percentage of them because we have a lot of musicians in, because it's Nashville. And so a lot of these touring musicians or whatever, producers or all these people are just a lot of yeah. them are out of work. And and I've been hearing so Real many estate. testimonies of situations like this and the same type of thing where God was calling them to give in whatever to this area or to this person or to whatever the thing may be where it's like this doesn't make any sense in the natural but they had that vision, they had that clarity of mind of what they were supposed to do and what God was leading them to do, mm-hmm. even though it was really scary. And the provision didn't seem like it was there to make that work and pay the bills and whatever else. But God came through mm-hmm. to supply as they did that in faith. And well, so I think it extends yeah. beyond just your life's calling, but I think that's a big part of it. Yeah. And I mean, the testimony from this last weekend, we haven't asked her if we can share this, but I'm just going to share it anyway. <laughs> so it was a, a single woman who was a real estate agent, lost 100% of her income, and she had Airbnbs. She had like rental properties. So she's like, that'll be my second stream of income. She thought this was a great idea, obviously. Coronavirus happened and both of those streams of income just completely dried up. And so she is trying to figure out what to do. She looks in her bank account. She literally has like $3 and some change in her bank account. And Mm -hmm. she's like, I have to do something to move forward. So she said, I'm I'm going to be paralyzed by fear. Yeah, I'm not going to be paralyzed by fear. I'm going to trust God with this. So she gave $3. So she's got, you know, 80 cents, (laughs) something or less, maybe. This happens, I think the very next day, she gets in a car accident that totals her car and she comes home and someone had broken into her house and had stolen things from her. So she's like, I just gave away my last $3. (laughs) And this happens, like that is devastating. Like I cannot imagine feeling like her and she's a single girl. It's like, it's just her trying to figure all this out, you know? And... People had heard what happened and just started sending her money. Yeah, she didn't tell anyone. She didn't even tell anyone. Yeah. Like, unless it was like, like hey, can friends. you come she help me? Because I feel like yeah. the, the lock is not, it's not safe for me to stay in my house right now. You know, people just started sending her all this money. And then based off of the insurance that was worked out with her homeowner's insurance and her car insurance, she's in a, in a- better position than the market sort of just opened up recently. Real estate wise, yeah. yeah. Yeah, here in Franklin. And all of the properties that she had, had um, listed. listed originally back in, I guess, early February March, yeah. February and March, sold. And it was just like, boom, boom, boom. Everything just worked itself out. Yeah. That doesn't make any sense. And that is a perfect example of, of someone who is broke, has no money, and God coming through for them. I don't yeah. know. I just thought that that was yeah. really, was really, really cool. exciting and encouraging and... 
Yeah. All right. So let me finish this summary right. here. So focus we'll on vision, not on provision. Discover your purpose and calling from God. Choose your career or profession according to calling and not according to money. Mm. Then pursue your calling and vision with all your heart and expect provision to naturally follow. Mm-hmm. So a couple questions. These are kind of homework. This is something that I want to do. So describe the clearest statement of vision for your life as you understand it at this point. If your vision is not yeah. yet clear, you might ask others to pray for you to get a clear vision. I think that's a really good exercise. Mm-hmm. Explain what it would look like in your life if you were to focus on vision rather than provision. And, you know, I don't think this is a black and white thing. I think most of us have a sense of, even if it's a really small sense, of the sense that God is using us in our job, in Mm -hmm. our business, in our whatever, in our parenting, whatever thing may be. I think we can all sense that a little bit. But I think think that's the thing is I want to lean further and further and further into that. I also want to add, I don't think this is about... I think it's easy to just turn this into this big weighty thing of, well, if I'm you really going to be... quit your job and start pursuing your passion. Yeah, like <laughs> I, I need to be a preacher who reaches whatever, 100 million people a year yeah. in order for me to really be a big deal. I don't think it's like that at all. I think there are plenty of people who are called to something that doesn't seem significant in the world's eyes. Right. But actually yeah. is absolutely life-changing and incredibly important. Taking cooking classes or something like that. Yeah, it's just about getting lined up with what God has wired you to do and chasing that. There are so many really weighty and special things that the Lord has for us that the world's way of viewing things and evaluating things is just all off. It's Mm -hmm. just completely wrong. And one of the best things that we can do is just get our definition of success to not be tied to how the world determines it. And that is really hard to do in this world that we live in. but. To the degree that we can view success and failure in life the way that God sees it, I think when we get to heaven, it's going to be a really fun celebration surprise. I think people who are like Evelyn, who are taking care of their 89, 90-year-old parents with dementia, Mm. you know, because that's what they're called in this season, I think there's going to be really sweet, sweet something up in heaven. Yeah. Well, and hopefully here on earth too. Yeah. Kind of what you said, though, kind of sparked an idea for me is there are people who are maybe in a job that they don't like. Been there. I get it. But the idea of the vision, letting the vision take over. So maybe that looks like you are supposed to act a certain way in front of your coworkers and your boss. Yeah. And that is your vision. Yep. And you need to get really clear on that. And run after that instead of running after, well, am I going to get a raise? Man. Uh, well, yeah, let me add to this. So another really, really hard thing. I'll just tell you what the Lord did for me. So I had about five years of being in a job, actually a couple different positions, the same company, jobs that I really did not like, that I was not good at, that I was not gifted for, um, which is incredibly humbling and incredibly yeah. humbling when you're in a position that... You're not good at it. Like, cause I, I'm a really hard worker, but I just was not wired and gifted for these jobs. The jobs and which is really, yeah. really frustrating when you're working really hard and you're just not good at it. And so that was a really challenging five year period of my life where I felt like I was doing work that I didn't like, that I wasn't fulfilled by, and that I wasn't good at. Mm-hmm. And this combination of all these things was really, really challenging me. And all this time, I had this vision for starting a business. And I wanted to start a business, but I didn't know how to get started. 
what the Lord led me through for that five-year period was I felt like what he wanted to do in my heart was see if I would work heartily as unto him and not unto man and see if I would honor my boss and see if I would go into work and work hard even when I wasn't getting the credit, even when I was getting Promoting, passed over for promotions, yeah. even when whatever, office politics, all this stuff. He wanted to check my attitude and it was a really hard season. But I have learned, like in hindsight, looking at everything I learned from that season, that phase, it's just been so incredibly important. There were lessons that I needed to learn in that season that I don't know if I could have learned any other way. So if that's the position you're in, like it's not fun, it's not fun at all, but use it, take advantage of it. Like don't waste that time away. Like honor the Lord in that Mm -hmm. situation that you're in. Yeah. I've been really learning a lot from our pastors recently in the last couple of years, really, because they're the Australian pastors (laughs) and they've really taught me a lot about not everything in life is fun and not everything in life is going to be sunshine and lollipops. And I think as a Christian, the kind of environment I grew up in was, but we're overcomers. And when I was told that I was an overcomer, that meant that nothing bad should happen to me. But what it actually means is if you have to overcome something, that means there's a big challenge there. There's a big challenge there. (laughs) Yeah. And it's something that I've really needed to hear a lot (laughs) because I've had that thing ingrained in me of like, well, this isn't supposed to happen because God is for me. Who can be against me? And it's like, that is still true. But the Bible is also very clear about there being trials and tribulations in life. And good cheer. Jesus has overcome. Because he has overcome the world. Yeah. So so I'm going to add something to that whenever you're this is It's just a really hard thing. Like I've been in a job that I didn't like either. And I've been in a job where I'm like, there was grace for me to do this job for a while and it's not there anymore. And I've been in a job where I've, the grace was there, it was then removed, and then I still had to stay for several years after that. (laughs) Yeah. Or in what felt like the grace was gone. That doesn't mean that there's not something still there for you to do. And that doesn't mean that you can't still find vision in that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Am I right in saying this? Absolutely. But it's really, it's It's hard. Like we're not at all saying that it's easy. But what I'm saying is, if you're in that position, that challenge, like, and this is the same thing with the whole situation that we're in right now with this, uh, you know, pandemic. It's like, this is a bad situation, but how can we get the most out of it? How can we suck the good out of this thing? Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. Is <laughs> how can hard. we take the negative situation that we're in and learn the lessons that we can to grow us and mature us as Christians? That's the question I'm always asking. Like, how can we do that? It's not easy, but what you were talking about earlier with the challenges in life and all Mm -hmm. this, I've been learning more and more about story. I've been reading more books about basically how to tell a good story. Mm. And as I'm learning about what makes a good story and then watching movies or reading, you know, fiction books and just kind of seeing there's a very predictable arc of what a story looks like. And the reality is, is any good story that you listen to the breakthrough time and the good time is a very small percentage of the book or the very small percentage of the movie. Most of the movie that you're watching Mm -hmm. is the person is in the challenge trying to overcome the challenge. Like once they arrive and the challenge is over, then the movie pretty much ends because it's boring. You know what I mean? And at the same time, at the beginning of the movie, if it's too long before they get to the challenging thing, whatever that challenge is, then it's too slow of a movie and it's too boring. And it's like, all right, we're not going to watch it. So... My point is, is that 
I've just always thought as a believer, and I don't, I don't have any Bible to back this up. This is like just straight theory, complete guesswork. But as a believer, I've just always thought, man, most of my life should always be really positive without challenge. You know, maybe 5% of the time I have challenge. But when I read a good story in which I think what God is doing in our lives is writing a good story that seems to be the journey that he takes most of us on. Mm. And if, like I said, when you look at a story, a good story, a good percentage of it, 70, 80% is actually overcoming the challenge and not sitting in this perfect, Mm -hmm. idyllic breakthrough space, you know? So I'm not at all saying like build a theology off of that. I'm just saying it's an observation Mm -hmm. that I've had that I think is just kind of interesting. Yeah. My two cents, no idea if it means anything, but it's helped me a little bit just real or being a little more comfortable with, all right, we're going to have challenges in life. They're going to keep coming. This is just part of life. Right. I'm going to be excited when we have these moments of like idyllic uh, oh, yeah. it's peace so good, and everything's right? perfect. But the reality is, is does say we're going from glory to glory, but um, it doesn't say what's in between those two glories or yeah. all those different glories. Melissa so anyway. Joe says, no matter what season that you're in right now, you are in training for what's next. Pass the lesson and on to the next. Yeah, that's so good. true because you're not done. Like it's like endurance training. Like if you run a mile, the next day you can run two. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I am, a, loves I am the best runner you've Why ever you seen in my life. Why don't you tell them about our life. couch to 5K we did when we first got married? I was like, I hate this. This is awful. Meanwhile, That was on the day we ran like a quarter mile. <laughs> meanwhile, I have a friend who trained for a half marathon, and she's running her half marathon, and her brother goes, hey, I'm doing the full marathon. Why don't you keep coming with me? And she decides to run the full marathon with him and didn't die. She did great. <laughs> <laughs> she's just oh, like, man. just keeps running. <laughs> I don't understand that. I'm not a runner either, but. Oh, I just, there's not much I dislike more than running. Okay, that's not true. There's a lot I dislike more, but you get the idea. Anyway. All right. If you see me running down the street, call the police. (laughs) Nailed it. Nailed it. Okay. All right. Hopefully you enjoyed this. Hopefully you got some good stuff out of it. We have a lot going on right now. Quick announcements. So. If you're here hanging out with us, I am negotiating a book deal right now with my book publisher that I hope we get to work with. Mm -hmm. So we're in negotiation right now. So I hope we get to tell you something soon about that because I'm really excited. And then the other thing we're doing is we are, so our real money budgeting course, which we launched last year is now a year old and we are rolling out a 2.0 version updated with a whole bunch of new stuff. And so we are going to be celebrating that next week and doing some special next couple weeks yeah starting next week and doing some fun things with that we're gonna do a couple webinars where we go in detail on some more training on some stuff yeah but you guys this course it's really exciting for us because we are getting lots and lots of like really powerful testimonials of how this is just changing people's lives yeah so i just gotta tell you real quick so this guy we're super excited about (laughs) This guy emailed me the other, this is probably two weeks ago, and I'm going to share this video because it's absolutely it's amazing. so good. He said, yeah, I don't really do this very often, but I just want to reach out and tell you um, a little bit what's happened since we started doing your course five months ago. He said, I've struggled with budgeting and personal finance for 17 years. In the last four or five months, we have now saved $14,000. If I looked at the month before I started your course, we were upside down. We were spending $500 more than we earned. Now we are earning $1,200 more than we're spending. And he just went on and on. And like my jaw dropped. Like I'm like, 
just blowing my mind. So anyways, I'm really excited and we're gonna be sharing more of... Um, well, and that's just a little piece of it. Yeah, that's there's just a lot one more piece to it, of it. Get on an email get on list. An email I assume list. most of you are, but if you're not, go to seedtime.com. Any of the email forms, just get in there. Mm-hmm. Drop your email so we can email you. I think that's it. Be blessed, be blessing. Yep. I'll see you later. Bye. Bye.